can start making our way back to our seats and our tables. We're going to get started this morning. It is a gloomy day. I'm glad we're inside. This is good. Uh, as we get started today, I've got two quick things I want to point your attention to. Good morning, brother. Uh, first one, as you know, I know I've mentioned it a hundred times. If you don't know yet, uh, you probably won't hear it this time. But after the service today is the business meeting. And what we do at the business meeting is we get together as a family and we look back at what God has done in the past year and we're looking forward to what we believe he's leading us to in the coming years. What he's doing behind the scenes, how he's shaping us, where he's directing us. And so this isn't just a time for business, it's not just a time for members. If today is your first day, you're welcome to come. Hear a little bit more about the heart of our church, our DNA. Um, if you are a member, it is a time that we vote. We vote on elders, we vote on church officers, financial rep. Also, we approve the, the budget. Um, and also, you get to hopefully get some more uh, faces to connect with names in our church. So, if you got plans this afternoon, break them. We're going to be here. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just joking. We, we have to be here until, uh, we have to be out of here by 1 o'clock. So, we can't take your whole day, even if we wanted to. Uh, we're starting the meeting at 11, uh, hopefully finishing it by noon, and then sharing lunch together after that. So, if you're hungry, stick around. Uh, that's the first thing. Second thing I want to draw our attention to, today's the first uh, Sunday of Advent. You know that, we've already lit the candle. Um, what I want us to do uh, this Advent season is really, it's not different than any other Advent season. But I want us to focus on what it is. I want us to actually remember and take a moment right here, right at the beginning, to think about what we're actually celebrating and actually doing here uh, during the season of Christmas. Because what we're doing is we're celebrating the fact that God himself came in the form of a baby. I think this, this just, it takes special, something special about it this year for me with a new baby. Um, babies are weak. Babies cannot fend for themselves. Baby are, babies are helpless. I think about a human baby. I, I think baby raccoons can climb trees at five days old. Baby humans are helpless. They need us to feed them. They need us to care for them. And that's what God did. The creator of the universe became a, a creature. <laughs> he became the weakest thing that we can possibly imagine. And the God of the universe did that for a reason. He did that because of, he loved us and wanted to come to dwell amongst us as a means of saving us, uniting us with himself to have a relationship with us. And so this Christmas season, my, my deep desire for us is that we would be struck yet again with the awe and the wonder of that truth, of this story of God's incarnation taking on flesh to be with us. And so I'm excited to do that with you this Christmas season. This Christmas season, uh, the, the Advent series is going to be called A King is Born. Uh, you're not going to be surprised by what we talk about. This isn't uh, a cute new way to think about Christmas. This is very simple. A king is born. We're thinking about the coming of a king. This week, Isaiah chapter 9. The title of the sermon is A King Will Come. The next two weeks is going to be called A King is Coming. Talking about the angels coming, revealing to Mary and then to Joseph the coming of the king. The week after that, a king is born. Obviously the birth of Christ. And then finally at our Christmas Eve service, the whole service's theme is going to be titled, Oh Worship the King. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to come together and worship this baby that was born who is God. Um, and actually, this picture that we're using for the, for the slide, um, when, I, when I looked at it, uh, I, the words that popped into my mind were um, 
light of the world, you step down into darkness. Isn't that a perfect picture of that? The light of the world, the, the coming of the light, that's what we're thinking about with the candles, came down to dwell uh, with us. And so every week as we put that up, let's just remember that. The light of the world came to be with us. Um, but today we're starting in Isaiah chapter 9. It's the same passage that Sam read for us just a moment ago, uh, lighting the candle. So let me read this for us, Isaiah chapter 9, just verses 6 through 7, and then we'll pray. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Will you pray with me? God, this, this uh, passage that we've sung over and over again in our lives, this, uh, we've heard it probably almost every Christmas if we've been coming to church for years. Um, God, we, we, we don't want to think about this as something we've heard before. It's true, we might have heard it before, but Lord, I pray that this morning would be a time of worship, that as we return to this amazing truth, this amazing story, this amazing prophecy, God, that we would see it with fresh eyes, Lord, that you would reanimate it for us, Lord, that you would, that you would reignite a passion in our heart with the awe and the wonder of what this passage is truly saying. And then also, Father, that you would lead us to further worship with the recollection, God, that this isn't just a prophecy for the future. This is a thing that we can look back on and see that you have proven to yourself to be faithful. You've, you've fulfilled this promise. So, God, what a joy it is to be your people. What a joy it is to be people who get to benefit from this prophecy. So I pray, Lord, that as we dive into it this morning, as you, as you uh, help us understand it, uh, that you would open our hearts to understand. Um, and Lord, I pray that if I say anything that's not helpful, not true, even this morning, uh, I pray that you would forgive me and that you would help it just pass out of our, through our ears. But what is true, what is powerful, what is, uh, what is from you, Lord, help it stick, take root, and bring life in us. So God, we give this morning to you. It is for you. In Jesus' name, amen. The year was 734 B.C. And in the year 734 B.C., the Assyrian Empire was the greatest empire in the world at that point, And they were on the move. They were threatening all the smaller nations around the Assyrian Empire. And these littler nations were getting really nervous. And rightfully so. The Assyrians were barbaric. They were a really harsh nation to have on your back. And so the nations of Syria and Israel specifically, they were getting really nervous. So what they decided to do was to form a coalition, to come together, amass their armies, try to build a bigger army so that they could have a force that could push against the, the Assyrian Empire. But they weren't content with just, Isra with just Israel and Syria. They wanted the nation of Judah to join in with them. They wanted the king of Judah, King Ahaz, to send his army and join this coalition. The problem is, King Ahaz didn't want to join the coalition. 
So the king of Israel and the king of Syria decided what they would do is rather than just trying to make do with their two kingdoms and their two armies put together, is that they would first come and attack Judah. They would come and attack Judah, try to put their own king on the throne of Judah so that that king would join together with them to fight against Assyria. For them, it was a way to prepare to fight against the most powerful nation in the world at that point. And so King Ahaz, the king of Judah, and the people of Judah were were afraid. And rightfully so. They didn't have an army big enough to defend themselves. And so this wasn't likely to go well for the nation of Judah. But God had different plans. So what God did was he rose up a prophet named Isaiah and he sent Isaiah to King Ahaz to talk to him. This is what Isaiah says all the way back actually in chapter 7. Chapter 7 verse 4. This is where we're going to start just to get a little context. God says to Isaiah, say to him, say to Ahaz, be careful, be quiet. Do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. At the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria, and the son of Remaliah. Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands. Uh, This is a picture. This expression, two smoldering stumps of firebrands, he's painting a picture for us. Uh, When you think about a fire, there's a lot of sticks in the fire helping fuel the fire. But if you were to take a stick out of the fire and set it next to the fire, what's going to happen? That stick is going to burn for a little while. It's going to turn to embers. It's going to smoke for still longer, but it's going to go out pretty soon. That while the fire is still going, that stump, uh, that stick will already be ash. It'll be dead. When you remove a stick from the fire, it dies. And so when it says here, these two smoldering stumps of firebrand, what he's saying is these nations are two sticks that have been removed from the fire and are setting off on the side. They're still smoldering, they're still smoking, they're still embers, but they're really soon, they're going to die. That's what God tells Ahaz about these two nations, but in fact, history confirms it. Because three years later, Syria gets wiped out by the great empire of Assyria. Ten years after that, Israel gets wiped out by the nation of Assyria. This prophecy comes true. But in speaking about this Israel and Syria coalition that's coming to invade Judah, this is what Isaiah says to Ahaz yet again in chapter 7, verse 7 and verse 9. Verse 7, thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand. It shall not come to pass. This invasion will not find success against you. Verse 9, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. It's a beautiful verse. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Basically, this isn't going to happen. These nations aren't going to come and overthrow the king of Judah. They're not going to put their own king on the throne. And how do we know? You have to be firm in your faith. Trust me. Don't look at your own strength. Look at my strength. Look at the strength of the God of Israel. I will protect you from this. So God's making a big claim here. And Ahaz and the people of Israel have to trust God in this. So God, knowing that, he wants to give Ahaz a sign. He wants wants Ahaz to ask him for a sign, actually, that he will indeed do this. And Ahaz, he, he kind of feigns piety at this point. And he says, you know, I don't want to test the Lord. But then God comes back to Ahaz like, fine, you don't have to ask. I'm going to give you a sign. And this is the sign I'm going to give you. Verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. 
Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. God wanting to prove to Ahaz, prove to the nation of Judah that he would be with them, said, I'm going to prove to you that I'll be here by helping something impossible happen. I will cause a virgin to have a son. I will have a virgin give birth. And this child, when he's born, his name will be Emmanuel. God with us is what that means. In other words, this child, when he comes, he will be a permanent reminder that God is with his people. This is something that we see a lot in the Old Testament. We see uh, God telling prophets to name their kids interesting things. And the point of that is that with this kid running around his entire life in Israel, his name always being God with us will be a constant reminder to the people of Israel that God is with us. We see this in a lot of the other prophets. It's, it's strange to think of now, and I feel bad for the kid, but this is a way that God communicates to his people by naming kids things that really matter to them. So he, this virgin would give, a birth and, give birth, and the child's name would be Emmanuel, God with us. The passage, it doesn't tell us clearly, at least in, in Isaiah, who this child is going to be. Not yet. But it's going to be proof to them that God will not abandon them in their trial. But now something kind of interesting happens. We move on from this prophecy, and then throughout the, the rest of, of chapter 7 and the rest of chapter 8 as well, or much of it, at least, what we see is a picture of desolation. God actually continues to tell Israel about how their nation is going to be pretty destroyed and wiped out. How does that line up? How does it line up that God says to Israel, look, or sorry, to Judah, they're not going to come against you, they're not going to destroy you, and then he continues to talk about the nation being destroyed. It doesn't really line up. So let's keep reading a little bit. Let's read into 9.1. I think 9.1 is going to shed light on that question. It starts with the word but. This is the turning point. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of, Zambul of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. It's talking about the former time and comparing it to the latter time. But this is what's interesting about this. The former time, he's talking about the destruction of Zebulun and Naphtali, regions in the north. And what's so interesting about this is he's calling the former time something that still hasn't happened yet in Isaiah's day. This destruction of Zebulun and Naphtali takes place just three or four months in the future, actually. So what God is saying when he's talking about the former time and the latter time, both the former and the latter time are future. Both these things are to come. So yes, in the former time, which is the, the near future, destruction is coming. But in the far future, in the latter time, God has a different plan. In the still more distant future, God will bring about a restoration, a redemption. So let's step back here and put ourselves in Ahaz's shoes, the king of Judah. If you're Ahaz, what are you thinking right now? I think that my first thought as Ahaz would be, I'm not very psyched about this desolation that's coming. I'm not very excited about the fact that there is destruction coming to my nation. Like, that, that God is telling me that that's what's going to happen, apparently. But I would be able to find hope in two things. The first thing I'd be able to find hope in is that God has promised, and was going to confirm, 
that Syria and Israel, this current conflict was not going to end in my destruction. That God was going to protect me from Syria and Israel. So there's hope right there, immediate hope right on the first thing. But the second thing that I'd find hope in if I were at um, Ahaz is I would look off to the future and I would think about the fact that God would someday in the future bring a restoration. Meaning that way off in the future there would still be a nation to be restored. The fact is, though desolation is coming, what I would have hope in is the fact that this desolation would not mean the death and the end of my nation. There can't be a restoration of a nation if the nation wasn't there to be restored. But still, this is the situation Ahaz is in. He's probably fearing the destruction of his nation, but has immediate hope and a distant hope for what's coming in the latter times. So let's look back to this latter times. What's going on in this latter times? Look with me in Isaiah 9, uh, 2 through 5. This is a description of the latter times. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke is broken, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. He's talking about in these latter days, after this desolation, will come a redemption, will come a restoration. In this day, war will be over. It will be a time of peace. And this is basically what we're seeing in verses 4 and 5. Verse 4, it talks about the yoke, the staff, the rod, these these implements of oppression. God's going to break them. Verse 5, the warrior's boot, the blood-stained clothes. In other words, uh, the implements and and the, uh, the garments of war are going to be burned. They're not needed anymore. War's over. Peace has come. Restoration has happened. How? That's the question I'd want to know. How is this restoration going to come? How or who is going to bring about this deliverance? Is it going to be a general in the prime of his career? Is it going to be a nation of thousands upon thousands of armies? That's not what this passage says. In verse 6, this is what it says. For to us a child is born. To us, a son is given. Isaiah is returning to Emmanuel. He's returning to this theme of the baby who would be born, this baby upon whom they would give, put their hope. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. He's the one who brings about this future hope somehow. He's the one who's going to be called Emmanuel. He's the one who will be born of the virgin. He will bring about restoration in the latter times. And when Emmanuel comes, this is what we read. The government shall be upon his shoulders. What that means is he will be a king. He will be a ruler. The government of the nation will be upon his shoulder. He will be in charge. And then it tells us his name. This is is important. Because we know, we've talked about this often, that a name means more, right, than just our title. Our name isn't just what we're called. If somebody comes into our room today and says that they have come in the name of the governor of the state of New Hampshire, we know they're not talking about his name. 
They know, we know that we're talking about him as a person, his, his, uh, his, uh, his, his whole being. They're coming to represent him. They come with his authority. So what we say the name of this guy is, is a description of who he is. The embodiment of who he is. So let, let's, let's continue. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Apparently, one name isn't enough for this king. Because there isn't a lot we have to know about this king. What these four names actually tell us about who this king is is really interesting. Wonderful Counselor. It tells us that this king is going to be wise. That he will be a great counselor. Uh, you know, kings in that day had counselors to help them make good decisions. This king in and of himself would be a wonderful counselor, wise in his ruling. He would be a mighty God telling us specifically of his power in his rule. Talking about him as an everlasting father, it tells us of his tender paternal love for his nation. Ruling the subjects of his nation as a father would rule his son with, with, with care and love. And finally, it talks about him as a prince of peace, telling us that this royal figure, a prince, would reign over a kingdom marked by shalom, by peace. And so, yes, these four titles tell us about him, but they also tell us who he is. They tell us exactly who he is. But before we say that, let's back up and look at four verses in the book of Isaiah. The bigger picture. Isaiah chapter 28, 29 describes God like this. This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. Isaiah 10, 21 says a remnant will return the remnant of Jacob to the mighty God. Isaiah 63, 16 says to God, you are our father. Though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our father. Our redeemer from of old is your name. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 9 says this. It describes the kingdom of God like this. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lay down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. Jump to verse 9. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as waters cover the sea. These four verses are talking about the God of Israel. Just four verses. But in these verses, what it says is that God is the one who is wonderful in counsel. God is the one who is called the mighty God. God is the one who is Israel's father. God is the one who will rule over the realm of Shalom. So, these four titles given to this coming king, this coming Emmanuel, they're not just descriptions of who he is. They also tie him to one being. These names, they tell us that this Emmanuel is truly God with us. He is God, God, God. In verse 7, it continues to talk about this kingdom. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. When Emmanuel, 
brings his restoration, when he establishes his kingdom, it will be a kingdom on the throne of David, we'll come back to that in future weeks, that will be characterized by never-ending peace. War will be over because this king, in his might, in his power, will establish perfect peace forever, without end. He will establish it and uphold it. In other words, he will bring it about and he will cause it to continue with justice and righteousness forever. And then this passage ends, I think, in the most beautiful verse so far in this passage. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's not Israel's job to make this happen. It's not Israel's job to amass an army to bring about this victory, to have control uh, over the, the swirling military powers of the world to bring about this eternal peace. It's not their job. It's God's job. God's the one who's going to make it happen. God's the one who's going to bring it about. God is saying, trust me to do it. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He's the one who will bring about this redemption in the latter times. And then about 738 years later, he does. I mean, in these intervening years, Babylon comes and crushes the Judah, the empire of Ju or the kingdom of Judah. They're carried off into exile. Years go by, eventually groups of them return to the land. But then after they come back and they settle in their land, they rebuild the walls, they rebuild the temple, the thing we notice, we never see God's presence come back to dwell in the temple again. And that makes sense, actually, because as we read on, we realize that the Old Testament ends pretty much right there. It's over. We don't hear from God for hundreds of years at this point. There's silence. There's no prophets. There's no angels. There's no, there's no word from God. But then all of a sudden, angels start showing. Then all of a sudden, in the beginning of Matthew and start the books of, book of Luke, we start hearing about amazing things starting to happen. An angel shows up to Martha telling her that she's going to give birth, even though she's too old to give birth. And she gives birth to John the Baptist. Then an angel shows up to Mary, a woman who's a virgin, and tells her in Luke chapter 1, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. And will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom there will be no end. Angel shows up to Joseph, the man engaged to Mary in Matthew chapter 2 saying this. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Angels come to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2 saying this, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, Messiah the King. The angels came bringing great news. The news that they came declaring was it was time for this Emmanuel to come. It was time for this one who was born of a virgin, who would be the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, to come and dwell amongst them. Jesus Christ was this Emmanuel. 
Jesus Christ was this God made flesh. God himself in the flesh as a helpless baby. And he was exactly who they said he would be. Jesus Christ was and is the wonderful counselor who brought divine wisdom and perfect. He was the mighty God who would be awesome in power. He was and is the everlasting father who would give loving paternal care and love to his people. He was and is the prince of peace who would bring a final defeat to the enemy and set up his perfect kingdom of shalom. And he would do all this, not ultimately through his birth, but through his death and resurrection. Isaiah chapter 9, for us and for them, is a passage of hope. When we look at Isaiah chapter 9, through the eyes of King Ahaz and the people of Judah, it's telling them, do not fear, trust God. Do not fear. Trust God. He will deliver you from Israel and Syria. And in the future, he will set up the kingdom of God. A kingdom without war. A kingdom of eternal, perfect peace under the leadership of this heavenly king. And it's a passage of hope for us as well today. Because the good news is the king has come. We're not waiting for this Emmanuel anymore. He has come. He was born. He was truly God. He set up a perfect kingdom, winning the victory on the cross. And we have hope today, knowing that his work is complete, and knowing that someday he is going to return to finish his kingdom, to bring it in its fullness. And so we can find hope in our wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, because we, like Ahaz, can have faith. If we are not firm in faith, we are not firm at all. He has come. He has established his kingdom. He is reigning today, and he will come again. Our great Emmanuel. Will you pray with me?